Je souhaite que vous aimez mes chansons Et dansez quand vous l'écoutez Et je souhaite que vous me comprendez Mais je sais, ce n'est pas vrai Hello everybody and welcome to Cast in Wax. My name is Jordan D. White and I am your host on this show. With me as always are my four, I'm sorry, three co-hosts. There's four of us total, but there are three additional members. Let me introduce them just for a moment here. First of all, here's my lovely little feline, Scape. Hey everybody, how are you doing today? My name is Scapey, as she said, and I am here to be very cute. That is my function on the show, I think. That's your function on the show? Well, typically, typically. Yeah, you know, I just, I was thinking, we don't really really talk a lot about the fact that you're a talking cat. That's a little unusual. No, not really. Most cats can talk. Oh, okay. And there next to him, we do have Mr. Frank Allen. Hello, everyone. My name is Frank Allen. I do want to point out that uh, I don't think most cats can talk. No, most cats can talk, I think. Uh, what it is is most cats don't talk to you. Well, I don't think they talk to anybody. Well, they don't talk to you, the listener who is hearing this and does not see them talk. But those of the audience who hear it, they're all like, yeah, my cat talks all the time. They know that it's true. Well, okay. I, that, that's an interesting way of pointing it out. I mean, basically, in other words, if if someone thinks that that's not true, they don't talk to them. And if someone thinks it is true, then you're right. Yes, that is correct. You've worked yourself out a little niche in logic there. I call it the cute zone. Thank you. Frank, as you can guess, is not a talking cat. No, why? No. I'm not. I'm a, a human being. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a host. I'm a, I'm a show host. I'm a interviewer, newsman, so to speak, lots of different things. Works in a supermarket. Well, as, as a, like a day job, as a, as a, as a stupid day job, but my real living is made by doing things like this. By living, you, and by living, you don't mean money. No, I mean like my emotional living, my, what makes it worth living, that, that sort of thing. Right. Okay. And our final co-host is Mr. Rory Sinjin, the extra historian extraordinaire. I almost said extraordinarian. Well, I am an extraordinarian as well, uh, but I'm also an extra historian extraordinaire. Extra history, of course, for all those who don't know, is a subject in which we look at alternate reality history, uh, the, the, the mapping of the universe, but not through the physical uh, spatial realm, but rather through the sideways realm of alternate history, of extra worlds, of parallel universes, things like that. I'm working overtime to create, a, like I said, a, a bit of a map of the multiverse with with all of the, the numbers and all of the realities accounted for. Well, that it won't, I mean, you can't do it. Well, you know, it's possible. No, it is impossible because you, well, first of all, because everything you do is bogus, but even by your own logic, it's impossible because you said that the multiverse is infinite. Well, it is, yeah. So then you'll never be able to map it because how can you possibly, you know, map Something that goes on forever. Well, you're, you're, you're taking a very limited view, I would say, because, you know, there are lots of theoretical ways that you can do that. You can, you can, you can map it using infinity as a guidepost. What? By which, by which I mean, by which I mean, you could say, for example, that, you know, in this realm of reality, there are an infinite number of, and then categorize. You know, an infinite number of realities based on the alternate history of Hawaii. Well, that's very non-specific. That would be a useless and pointless map. Well, I mean, as as of right now, it, you can't really travel the multiverse. So, I mean, right now, the map is purely academic anyway. I mean, it, it doesn't really come in useful. Then why are you doing it? Well, because I am an academic. You know, you, you forget because I used to belong to an institute, the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies, but you shut it down. It was because it was ridiculous. Look, there because extra history is nonsense, but what I'm saying is, what's the point? The point is academic, yes. That is what I'm saying. I am a theorist. I am, in addition to, you know, someone who does practical extra-historical readings. Oh, highly practical. I also do more theoretical and more academic work in the extra-historical field. That's why, again, that's why my work at the Institute was so important. I mean, hopefully I'll be able to continue it at some point, but for now, I've been focusing on the, yes, as, as I said, the practical readings. But in the back of my mind, yes, there is this idea of m mapping the multiverse in a kind of, you know, impressive 
practical, hypothetical, academical way. So it's a way to do something totally useless and get paid. Well, well, again, that's if you want to put it in layman's terms, it's a certain possible description of it. But I would not do that. No, I mean, I think it's very, you know, useful in a theoretical and academic way. Like, I mean, it's not useful, no, to someone's life. But if someone were to do more studies of extra history, it would be useful to them. So as a reflexive tool and as a, as a recursive idea. You're using a lot of language to say bullshit. I think. No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, it is, that is what you're saying, whether or not you're trying to or not. All right, guys. All right. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Um, although, speaking of extra history, what we move on to is the section of the show we like to call Extra History Now. Oh, that means time for the song, right? Yes, it is time for the song. Uh, and so we are going to do here a little song. History now, where I do an extra historical reading for someone who has written into us. Uh, guess what? What? Unfortunately, no one has written into us. So there is that. Please, please write into me about your problems. I will give you an extra historical reading for free on the podcast. Anyway, a bit of a sample. Uh, you tell me what's wrong in your life, and I will tell you about it in other realities. Kind of an exploration of that problem. And it'll it'll help with the problem. Well, no, I, I didn't say that it will help with the problem, but I would try to help you deal with living with the problem. But it doesn't actually help. Take, take it from me, who got it last week. It doesn't actually help with the problem at all. No, but imagine the lightness of being that you would feel when you realize how much worse things could be. That wasn't how it worked for me. Well, you're an unusual case. I don't think that I am. You are, actually, you are. Uh, but I suppose for now, I will talk about, well, I'll talk about the problem that we have at hand which is that no one has written into us. But the fact is, it could be so much worse. For there is another reality where someone did write into us, but what they wrote into us was a death threat. They wrote in that they would slaughter every single person on this podcast because they hated this section so much. But I'm not responsible for this segment. Why would I get killed? They didn't understand. You know, they, they weren't really listening that closely to the podcast. They just said, anyone who is even remotely, tangentially involved with that section of the podcast, I must murder. And they did, in fact, come around uh, and they developed sick and twisted torture devices to, to customizedly kill every single person here. For Jordan, they hooked him to a machine where they would constantly show him, on repeat, the last episode of Battlestar Galactica and the Watchmen film. And the only thing that he could do to stop it was press a button right near his, his, his subdued hands that would pour hydrochloric acid down his eyes into, you know, his, his body and brain and all that. Uh, eventually, of course, he was driven mad. It was only the very beginning of Watchmen, the first minute, and already he was started driven mad. He pushed the button, died in horrible screaming agony. But I didn't see the movie again, so that's a plus. Well, right, but, but you know, it's probably better not to have either happen. I guess, yeah. For Scape, they attached him to a special device that had weight-sensitive abilities, and there was a, a bowl of moist food just off the side, and if he leaned out and ate the moist food, the weight sensors would register that he had gotten heavier and make the entire room explode and kill him. But I would get to eat the moist food. Yes, but you would be dead. Uh-huh. And then for, for Frank Allen... No, I, but I'm, like I said, I'm not, I have nothing to do with this. I disavow all involvement. I have nothing to do with it. Extra history is so bogus. I don't have anything to do with it, please. But they, they didn't listen to this episode. They listened to the previous one where you were on the show with me. So they hooked you. I don't, I don't want to hear what they did. It's too, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. But what they did was they had these audio sensors that if you spoke would send blades and blades and blades of shooting blades straight through your body, you know, cutting you to ribbons. And the only way that you could survive was by not saying anything for an hour. There was a little timer counting down the hour. And uh, obviously you couldn't do it, so you eventually you started speaking and you were sliced no, through No, that's it. not true. I could not speak for an hour. That's, I, it's easy. I would, I would have lived that. I would have made it through that. That's okay. Well, no, I don't think you would. I think you would have said something. Probably something self-involved. No, no, hey, no, no. I can do it. I can, I can get through that death trap. That's fine. I can do that. I've never heard evidence of that. You've always been kind of a blabbermouth, always going on. No, that's not true. Well, prove it. D- you know, didn't say anything. For an hour? For the re- what? I mean, that's a long time. That's the rest of the podcast. Well, uh, uh, if you can do it, then, you know, you would be sliced ribbons, like I said. I can do it. Well. <sighs> 
All right, you're off to a good start. Now, uh, so that was what happened with Frank Allen. And then, uh, of course, I was put in kind of this even more elaborate system by which I was sort of being forced to watch all of these things happen to sort of show me the error of my ways to try to get me to renounce extra history, of course. Um, and, you know, this person knows, of course, I will never renounce extra history. So they know it's, they've got me dead to rights. But what happens is I manage to trick them into thinking I might renounce extra history and at the last minute I, I'm able to pull the gun away from them and you know shoot them and get away unfortunately again it's too late all of my friends are dead the rest of the people on the podcast are dead I, I, I'm left grief struck well but you get to live yes but how is it but, but everyone I care about is dead well the three of you my mother's all right, so I probably go back to England. But the point is, it's it's a much worse reality because I'm glad that the three of you are alive. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. So that was our our reading. Yes, well done. Extra history now is Well, thank you for that. And uh, now let's move right on to the next segment. Last time you heard guard duty, you found out that Golden Eel and Bumblebee were made members of the team. Uh, but on last week's preview, I promised you that someone was going to have died by the time the next episode happened. Well, guess what? It's true. Let's hear it. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. To that end, Guard takes shifts, monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of guard duty. This week, Bumblebee and Dr. Fast in Golden Opportunity. Oh, yeah, you'll be a great addition to the guard. Absolutely. Really? I mean, my powers aren't as useful as yours. Well, sure, but I'm the most powerful member of the guard. We can't all be me. Your powers are very useful. We need a tiny flying girl sometimes. You mean that? You're not just saying it. Oh, yeah, totally. I've always said Full never would have died if we had a tiny flying girl on the team. Now we do. I mean, it's too late for Full, but at least we got one. Ahem. Where have you been? Sorry I'm late, Doctor. Elijah and I slept through the alarm, but I got here as fast as I could. Why didn't Peace Blossom wait until I got here? She tried, but Binary Girl showed up and dragged her out. Something about keeping faithful or some nonsense. I thought fairies were beyond such religious foolishness. Just goes to show, you can come from a fifth dimensional race whose existence in our reality is owed to a strict practical application of Lowe's third principle of quantum occurrence, but it doesn't mean your mind is going to be any more rational, barbarians. Okay. Well, on that note, I think I'll take my leave. Haven't slept since before the funeral yesterday. Shh. Ow! I mean, yeah, I've been sleeping since the funeral, so I've got to go not sleep now and do work. Will I see you tonight? When, when I'll be sleeping again. Can't tonight. Binary Girl and me are going to have girls' night sleepover, but thank you ever so much for comforting me after the tragic death of one of my teammates. I don't know how I would have gotten through the night without you. My pleasure. See you soon. Bye. Ugh. You people, carrying on like one of the guard wasn't murdered two days ago. This is one of our colleagues, cut down in their prime, robbed even of the infinitesimal time a full life would have provided, not even given the chance to grow old like the rest of us poor humans. Aw, doctor, I didn't realize you were so sensitive. How have you been since the funeral? Do you need any comfort? I can be very reassuring. I'm fine. I'll be reassured when I actually accomplish something. You sure you're not even a teensy-weensy bit upset? Being upset would change nothing. Why waste my time? I focused on trying to actually do something about it. I've been investigating the murder. Oh, really? Of course. The gold meal may not have been on the guard long, but her murder deserves to be treated with the utmost seriousness regardless. Just because I never got to know her personally doesn't mean I shouldn't devote the same attention I would if she were any other member. Oh, yeah? That's so sweet of you. Sweet has nothing to do with it. On a practical level, if someone has the ability to murder one member of the guard without being caught, the chance of them being able to murder another remain high. In addition, it makes the guard appear ineffectual, which lowers our productivity. Lower productivity means a higher net loss of life in society at large. As such, bringing the killer to justice becomes a priority. I've ceased all other experiments for the time being, except, of course, my aging research, to focus on this one. Mathematically speaking, it's the right thing to do. Um, okay. So what did you learn? Anything good? It's a murder. 
What exactly would I find that was good? I don't know. She could have been like some sort of replicant or something. Like maybe underneath a layer of weird skin husk stuff, you discover the body was full of alien organs and wasn't actually her at all. Then maybe we could find the real golden eel and everything would be okay. Interesting supposition. And then there's reality. Well, you don't have to be on... The golden eel, a.k.a. Esther Hemmings, was found beaten to death in her cave, her base of super heroic operations on the island of Honolulu. The body was found by Honolulu Police Sergeant Nishihara, who had come to check on the golden eel after numerous failed contact attempts. He discovered her body sprawled all over the floor, face bludgeoned nearly beyond recognition with the golden idol that gave her her powers photo one. Ew, that's disgusting! The head was caved in, as you can see. The idol was spattered in blood and found five feet away on the counter, photo two. Analysis has confirmed this is the murder weapon. Of course, there are no fingerprints on the weapon besides those of Miss Hemmings herself. Here we can see that the beak of the eel statue matches perfectly the indentation on the back of her head, which would imply that she was struck from behind. The splatter on the walls here suggests the same and places her about here in the room when the event occurred. Oh God, why am I seeing this? We are attempting to solve the murder of one of our colleagues. Well, what do you expect me to do? You're a superhero. This is a crime. I shrink and I fly and I blast things, preferably things in tights. I don't look at pictures of splattered brains. But I, I read your file. You solved murders. Oh, sure. One, I saw a guy running away and figured he did. I blasted him and thankfully it turned out I was right or he probably could have sued my pants off. The other time, the cops forget out who did it, they just let me make the bust. Me and a few detectives had an arrangement. That's not important now. It's my job to investigate the crime scene evidence, and since you're here on guard duty, you can help. You don't want me to help with that. I usually try to stick to the things I'm good at. Shrinking, flying, blasting, and erotic massage. Too bad. As a member of the Earth Guard, you have to be able to adapt to whatever situation may arise, even if that means, did you just say erotic massage? If you think it would help, I could... No, forget that. The Golden Eel, a member of the Earth Guard, has been murdered. But I can't... Yes, you can. This is your chance to rise to the occasion. You say you're a hero. Prove it. But I... Uh, all right. Fine. So what else have you got? Excellent. Now, the real question is, how did the murderer get into the cave in order to murder Golden Neal? As you can see here, there's no sign of forced entry on the secret entrance and the door was found locked. First glance then suggests a teleporting villain like Goblin Girl or Pop-Up. Although it could also have been someone with access to technology that gave them the ability to become intangible and pass through walls, perhaps Holy Roman or the Creationist. You think they'd be able to find Neal's secret base? They could have placed a tracking device of some sort in a person, used it to discover her location. Was there a tracking device? No, but they could have taken it with them when they left. Or they could have developed a tracking device that breaks down into component gases after a fixed duration. Let me check the makeup of the cave's atmosphere. Damn it! If only they'd taken the sooner, it would be more accurate. I think you might be overthinking this just a smidge, Doc. As soon as they open the door where the air was compromised, who knows what drifted out? No, wait, hang on. Look at the pictures here. The Golden Eel has everything in her cave labeled. Yes, of course, she was very efficient. What's your point? Take a look, here, by the door. See? This ugly little eel plaque with the hooks? This hook is labeled spare keys, and there they are. This one just says keys, and it's empty. If Golden Eel was as systematic as she claimed to be, don't you think she'd have hung up her keys first thing? I mean, when I get home, it's practically instinct. I do the exact same things. Lock the bolt, lock the chain, take off all my clothes. Never fails. Of course, let me check. You're right, her keys are missing. They're nowhere to be found in the cave at all. Did you just go there? How did you get in? I can run through walls. But we're in space. I can run through space. Anyway, whoever murdered her must have taken her keys and locked up after themselves. And without forced entry, it would likely be someone she knew. Maybe it was a secret lover, meeting her for a tryst in the dark. Were there candles or champagne for two? No, she was actually in the middle of eating a ham sandwich. From what I can gather, it appears she was sitting at the monitor here, eating the sandwich, got up, walked over to the mirror, began brushing her hair, and then someone began bludgeoning her. So it must have been someone she didn't feel threatened by. A friend, or one of these police officers, or... Well, no. What? Nothing. It was silly. Not even worth saying. We owe it to the Golden Eel to investigate all possibilities. What were you going to say? I was going to say it could have been a member of the Guard, but that's silly, so forget it. No one on the Earth Guard would ever kill anyone, so there's got to be something else. One of the cops, like I said. Or someone invisible or something. Still, it's worth investigating. Where were you the night the Eel was murdered? Me? I was on guard duty with the Stallion. My first shift. Where were you? I was conducting my experiments, of course, but obviously it wasn't me. That leaves... <laughs> Argus to EarthGuard! Argus to EarthGuard! Argus? Hey, sweetie, what can we do for you? I know I don't officially start until tomorrow, but there's a pack of dinosaurs rampaging through Portland. I need the guard's help, now! It's not a problem, we can call it the guard. Welcome to the team. See, Bumblebee? You rise to the occasion, even if it means starting early. I think I get the picture. Attention, EarthGuard! There's dinosaurs in Portland. Argus needs assistance. Make your way to Oregon ASAP. How was that? Excellent. Now, I'll meet you in- Do you think I could, um, ride in your pocket? In my... Well, I don't see why not. Let's move. Jordan D. White, with Michael D. Mikulski as the narrator, 
Daniel Schwartz as Dr. Fast, Guinevere Eckert as Bumblebee, Elijah Weberhan as Mr. Fahrenheit, Charles Berman as The Argus, with theme song by Michael D. Mikowski. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. So there we are. I love, you know, I just, I adore Bumblebee. I think she's just one of the best characters I ever created. She's so, uh, uh, I mean, she starts out so, well, I don't want to get into it, but she's, she's great. And I love everything about her. Uh, she's very nice. Yeah. Oh, I don't really care. She's, she's played by Guinevere. I, I, I like Guinevere. That's right. You had a crush on Guinevere. I forgot about that. Shut up. Dad, no, I didn't ever have a crush on Guinevere. I was just saying that I liked her. I like a lot of people. Yeah, but you don't have to, men- you don't mention that you like a lot of people. You said, so, but you mentioned that. It's because you have a, you have a crush. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Everybody has crushes. No, Dad, not everybody, because I don't, so. That's ridiculous. Of course you do. I don't. You can't say that I do if, if you want to be accurate, because I don't. So. Fine. Ridiculous, but fine. Not ridiculous, but fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, what time is it? Oh, it's time for extra... Well, not extra history now, but rather more extra history, by which I mean, where are they now in history and this day in history, right, Rory? Absolutely, although in, you know, the opposite order. Uh, today is a very historical day, very famous day in it, in, uh, in this day in history. Is it? Why? What is it? Well, I'll tell you. Hello and welcome to this day in history. My name is Roy Sinjin and this is WHRW Binghamton. Back on July 20th, 1969, American astronaut Neil Armstrong became the first human to walk on the surface of the moon. 240,000 miles from Earth, Armstrong spoke these words to more than a billion people listening at home. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. No, no, no. We have to shoot this scene again. Neil, take two. Would you please get your lines I'm right? So, all right, the all right. The American public has got to believe this. Come hey, on. Get that dog out of here. Oh, there, Apple's <laughs> studio. <laughs> it bit me. It bit me. It somehow me too. What's God. going on? Oh, it's the hound of the Baskervilles out of here. Wow. Come on. All right. I'm really angry. I'm foaming at the mouth. Let's do this scene. You're angry. We're all angry. I'm angry. It's be the first man in one small for I know it has a small grammatical error, but it doesn't matter. It's good enough. Gah! I hate you all. Well, I'm a doctor, but too bad I'm British and hate all the Americans and don't want to give them their rabies shots. I hate British people too. That's not in the moon landing script. Stick. Oh, damn it. Get Aldrin out here! He's the first man on the moon! Why is it so dry on the moon? I hate Studio. Aldrin, too. He's British, you know! I think you should all die soon. <laughs> well, alright! And to this day, the surface of the moon is littered with corpses, or so America would have us believe. Make sure that if you are bitten by a strange animal, you get your rabies shot. It just might save your life and history. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But Houston, we have a problem. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And I'm going to tell you the truth about the moon landing. Yes, that was all staged. The truth is the United States only got to the actual moon six months ago, and ironically, they did there discover that the moon is actually covered with moon dogs. And unfortunately, while America had not reached the moon until recently, the germs of Earth had launched their own space missions and had shot the rabies virus up to the moon. And there were a few of those moon dogs who were rabid. So when secret American astronauts Barack Obama did reach the moon six months ago, he was bitten by a rabid moon dog. Now, official NASA policy for injuries is walk it off, so he began a trek around the moon. By the time he reached the other side of the moon, he was completely insane. He came across the moon dog, Wizened Amber, who recognized that this crazy astronaut had rabies, and unfortunately, Wizened Amber had to put him down. And that's why in that universe, Barack Obama was not able to take the office of president, and the world fell into utter chaos. Make sure if you're bit by a strange animal that you don't recognize, you get a rabies shot just in case. You never know. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Right, of course, the moon landing, right. Uh, very funny. That was, that was a good episode. Um, of course, uh, you know, the moon landing was not fake. No, uh, not in, no, not in this reality, no, in, in another reality. I, I mean, that was sort of, you know, why I thought it was humorous, you know, to focus on a reality where it really isn't. True. Right. I mean, because because in real life, people who think that the moon landing was fake, I mean, that's just preposterous. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm 
a skeptical person, but I mean, that's that's not skepticism. That's that's foolishness. There's a preponderance of evidence that we did land on the moon, and every bit of evidence that we didn't land on the moon has been entirely debunked and disproven. It's just total nonsense. Oh, I knew, I knew. Anyway, uh, what do we have next? Oh, it's time for a Frank Allen interview. It's been a long time since we had a Frank Allen interview. Um, let's listen to this. Frank, do you want to say something about it before we start? Frank? Well, if you remember, he's he's proving that he would get away from the death trap by not speaking for an hour. Right. Right. Um, well, I guess then you have nothing you can say in introduction, but who, I mean, I don't even know who you're interviewing. Your watch? What? What about your watch? Has to do with the time? You interviewed somebody about the time? No, what? What are you pointing? Oh, the, the date. It's about the date. Oh, it's about this day in history. Okay. Um... One of the guys from that episode of This Day in History? No? Okay. But it was about the topic, so it's about the moon landing. Oh, about the moon landing. Well, that's that's good. Like I said, uh, the moon landing is really interesting uh, because it's you know it's obviously a, a giant, amazing achievement of humankind. So what? why are you shaking your head? What? Just, are you going to say something? Can't you just say something? <sighs> All right, well, whatever. I don't know what you're trying to say to me, but anyway, let's get to Frank Allen's interview. It has something to do with the moon landing. Let's see what. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. We have a very special episode today. Uh, today is the 20th of July, which is, of course, the date of the moon landing. Or, for the sake of my guest, I will say the supposed moon landing. And I, I do have with us an expert on this supposed landing, Mr. Patsy Kennedy from the radio show Don't Believe It. Thank you for having me here. You know, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying also supposed, because yes, too many people just take it for granted that there was a moon landing, but in this case, there was not a moon landing so you know it's good to it's good to know that you are able to have an open mind when it comes to uh, not believing it which is what you know that's what we advocate on the show you know be ready to not believe because sometimes there's things you shouldn't even believe and the moon landing like i said is one of those things right right uh, no and that's good i know i know jordan is uh jordan who runs the podcast he's a he's a skeptic he likes to uh, be skeptical of things so i'm sure he'll appreciate the segment uh being as you said skeptical of the moon landing yeah you know because okay let, let's let's go through this they say that the, in the, in whatever the 60s or something they landed on the moon right but there's so much evidence that says that no that's probably not the case uh let's look at number one okay number one is if you if you landed on the moon in the 60s what why is it that there's nothing going on now you know if we actually got to the moon don't you think that we would be doing stuff on the moon by now because like how many other things that we started in the 60s that we're not even bothered doing anything with at all right no that's true i mean that's that's well that's progress so the lack of yeah the lack of progress in lunar exploration or lunar colonization even. Yeah, colonization is what it, we were led to believe from many books that I've read that this was where we were going. But look, I think it's more likely, okay, that they said, well, we need a little boost, right? We're going to pretend we got to the moon and then we'll start working on it then. You know, we promised we'd get to the moon. We didn't. So let's, uh, we'll start working on it and we'll do everything we can and we'll pretend we keep going to the moon. And by the time we get, you know, far enough along, we'll have figured out how to really get to the moon. And then we can just say, oh, look, we got to the moon and we're going to start moving people up there. You know, people who are interested or people who are undesirable, perhaps. I don't know what their exact plan was, but the point is, yeah, how many, what, I mean, look, we used to have, in the sixties, we had, you know, uh, uh, record players, and now we have MP3 players. It's a big difference. There's a lot of advancement there. So I'm just saying, where is the advancement, right? That's a good point. Uh, but but that's that's kind of a that's not actually evidence. That's you know kind of a lack of of something. Saying pointing to a lack of something doesn't really prove it so much. Well, no, you don't need to resort to that though. Even you're right, you're right, because there's actual hard documented evidence. Uh, for example, there's a picture you you might see where there's a moon rock that has like a letter C on it, and the reason it does that is because that moon rock was copyrighted, right? And uh, uh, the people said, you can use my moon rock in your moon landing faking, but you have to put a, a copyright symbol on it because we own that rock. But then, like I said, but but then you could see it in the picture, so it gives it away. And you can look at that, you go look. You can look up online, they have a picture of it. That's why that's there. Well, who would have thought that, you know, things like uh, intellectual property would spoil the moon landing? The supposed moon landing, the fake moon landing, yeah. Uh, you know, that's why intellectual property is, is, a, is, is a powerful thing. In addition, if you look at what the astronaut said, I forget what his name is, but the one who came out, right? He says, uh, one, this is like a small step for 
Man. I mean, he said one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Right. But there's a, there's an error in that. I don't know if you know. Right. No, there is because man and mankind. No, no. I'm, I meant because he's saying it was a giant leap, but it was faked. So it wasn't actually true. And so you can tell from the way he says it, it's not, he doesn't really mean it. It's not really a giant leap because they're just faking it on a soundstage. Oh, right. No. Okay. I, uh, well, I'll have to listen to it again. Well, you should listen to it again and you'll, you'll hear it. Oh, he, and, uh, people always say to me, oh, hey, Pat. Patsy Kennedy, if it's a faked moon landing, how come they are jumping like there's not a lot of gravity? Right? That's a good question. That is a very good question, actually. Well, that's, e that's easy. Did you ever hear of a moon bounce? That's what they named the moon landing after, is the moon bounce that they were bouncing on. It was an inflatable landscape, okay? And you, you put the astronaut in it. Not to mention, do you see those big bulky astronaut uniforms? They look like they're so heavy, right? Yeah, because I understand they weigh quite a bit, right? No. And here's why. Because they actually are filled with helium. Now, obviously, the human body is still heavy enough to generally weigh down the helium-filled suit. But on a moon bounce, all right, filled with helium, they can jump a lot smoother a lot slower it looks like a moon moon bounce that's and that's how they're doing this moon the moon bounce as they call it named after the moon bounce that they filmed it in that's how that happens but what about that he stick but he sticks a flag in it if it was a moon bounce wouldn't it deflate that's a very good question i've had i've had that question before though and i've got it covered basically all you got to do is the problem is uh the flag there there wasn't a flag there that was done with computer graphics computer gra now Hold on, it was 19... I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say it was 1969, right? Was it 1969? Yeah, I think, I think so. Then how did they have computer graphics? They didn't have computer graphics back then. Well, this is part of the conspiracy. Don't... I mean, this is why I'm trying to teach you people, all right? Uh, if the government says, we don't have computer graphics, why are you going to just believe it just because they say that? Don't believe it, all right? If they say we don't have computer graphics, they might be lying. They had computer graphics back then. And the conspiracy is that they have been holding back computer graphics from the public to make it look like they didn't have computer graphics back then. All right? You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is that they make computer graphics look bad for a long time so that we would believe the moon landing. But don't believe it. That's very interesting. Now, let me let me ask you this, uh, Patsy. What first clued you in personally? What, what first made you realize? that this moon landing was fake and was staged? That is a, that is a good question, and it's easy to, to answer because it, it, it is so prominent in my mind, all right, that I can remember it very easily. The first thing I that really clued me in that there's hey there's something awry. All right, was did you did you did you ever see the the moon lander? All right, and on the outside of the moon lander there is a little American flag picture, and underneath that it says United States. And I was like at first I was a kid, you know, I didn't know anything. I was just like yeah United States. That's what that flag means, you know. Hey, it's all good. Uh, but then it occurred to me, why are they putting the name on the outside? They launched the ship. They know what it is, right? And if there's nobody living on the moon, which is what they would have us believe, then who is going to see that United States in order to read it? It doesn't make any sense. And that's when I remembered the term cabbage head. Have you ever heard this term cabbage head? Uh, no. Well, no I, I mean... I guess is that like a like what a cabbage patch doll has? No, no. What it is is if you if you're watching a TV show, right, and a character is supposed to be an expert on something, but they have to play dumb in order to make the audience know something that the character should know. So, for example, if you're watching Star Trek and and Mr. Spock has has been to Starfleet Academy and he says, you know, what is what is breakfast? And then Captain Kirk has to explain what breakfast is. Obviously, he knows what breakfast is. He, he lived at Starfleet Academy. He lived on Earth. He knows what breakfast is. But why they say that is so that the people in the audience who don't know what breakfast is, it would be explained to them. All right. So the point is, the reason it's United States there is so that the people at home would go, okay, I got, I understand now that this is the United States landing on the moon. So they wouldn't think it was Russia. No, yeah, because if, uh, yeah, that's a good point. If they hadn't put the American flag and, and United States, then Russia could have stole the footage, release it first, and say, hey, Russia on the moon, eh? right? They could have done that. So that's why they put the flag everywhere. But, like I said, if there's nobody living on the moon, who's going to read on the outside of the capsule, right? Doesn't make any sense. That's what clued me in. That's what made me, that's what started the wheels turning in my head so I would know things, so that I would understand. 
And that was the first time I really said to myself, why do I believe it? They said it, and I believe it. Why is that? You know what? Don't believe it. Very good. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, if they, supposedly uh, there were people are working on companies all over the world are working on uh, tourist space travel, meaning that you could get into a space shuttle and be launched into space. Now, so far, I believe it's just into, into you know, orbit. It's not to the moon. But if they were to take that step, all right, and 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 put it to a moon visit voyage, let's say, uh, would you be willing to go and check it out and find the truth whether or not this was there? No, no. look, now hold on, all right? Uh, first of all, it would be a lot of money. I'm not going to waste my money because here's why. If somebody else wants to pay, I'll go. I'll say that. But here's why. Because I'm not going to believe it, all right? I'll tell you. Because I already, without even going to the moon, I can already think of multiple ways that they could fake the evidence that they had been to the moon before. Here's how. All right, here's number one. I got a couple ways. Here's the first way. They don't actually go, you don't even go to the moon. If I get into a capsule, a spaceship, whatever, all right, and I think I'm launching, how do I know I'm launching? What's the evidence? Uh, yeah, I can see out the window that the ground is getting further away, but that's the same thing I see at Disney World on the Peter Pan ride when all of a sudden I'm flying over London. Not only am I not flying really high in the air, that's not even really London. That's, I'm still in Florida at the time. So what I'm saying is, how do I know it's really, I'm really flying? And now I know you're going to say, well, other people can see you launching as well. Well, for all I know, right, they put me into a secret chamber, simulate flight, and shoot a missile up into the air, and everybody goes, oh, there they are, and when it's up high enough, it blows up. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of garbage in the, in the, in the orbit, so how would you even know? Right. Number two. Okay. Here's number two. Let's say for a moment, and this is really pushing the limit, but let's say for a moment that there really is uh, the ability to fly into space to where the moon is. Right. Let's say they've developed that technology. And when I get into the ship, I actually am going to the moon. All right. That means they had plenty of opportunity to fly up already and put fake stuff down. They could say, oh, look, uh, here, let's take a picture. We have the pictures from the fake moon landing. Let's just make it look like that. And then they would care carefully lay down dust and put feet prints right at the right places and a little fake flag and a little fake land. They had plenty of time if they could actually get to the moon. So even if I were to get to the moon and see the moon lander right there, you can't you don't believe this. It doesn't make any sense. Don't believe it. Or is there is there anything that would prove to you that the moon landing did happen? What do you mean? Well, can, can you imagine a situation where you get some information and then you go, all right, I guess the moon landing happened. Well, yeah, I can imagine anything, you know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, sure. But it's it's not going to happen because it didn't. The only way that that would be possible, right, is if the moon landing had happened and it didn't. So it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, that would be a different reality, so to speak. Like, I probably wouldn't even not believe in the moon landing in the first place if it happened. The only reason I don't believe is because it never happened in the first place. You get, you get what I'm saying? I'm not going to believe something that is totally untrue, and I'm not going to not believe something that is totally true. So you saying what would convince me that it's true is you're, you're, you're making a, 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 fal a fallacious argument because you are, in asking that, assuming that it's that it happened when it didn't. You're not allowing for the possibility that it didn't happen. You're, 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 you're supposing that it did, and I'm saying it didn't. So, you know, I can't really, I can't answer that because you've, you've begged the question. You've, you've, you've... Or you've, you've lined everything up against me. That's an unfair question. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it unfair. No, you probably didn't even realize you were doing it. Don't worry about it. But I, you know, I'm, I'm trained to look at these things logically and see what is going on and stuff like that. So, so I see these things more clearly than you do, I'm sure. But, but listen, it's not, I mean, that's the way it is. There isn't a moon landing. That's why I don't believe it. You, it's not going to be true. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being on the show, Patsy. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And if you, uh, you want to hear my show, it's, of course, as as everybody knows, it's on KSAC, KSAC over in uh, New Mexico, Roswell. So, uh, please, I'm sure we are on the internet somewhere. You can stream us, uh, things like that. And uh, we, we do the show. It's called Don't Believe It. And, you know, don't believe the things that people are telling you about it. It's all true. Well, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to Frank Allen Interviews. Uh, this has been a very special moon landing edition. Supposed moon landing edition. Well, no, it's really an edition. It's not supposed. But it's the supposed moon landing. Right, okay. Well, supposed moon landing edition of Frank Allen Interviews. We will be seeing you soon. Frank, that I, I just said, I mean, I guess you recorded this before I said it, but I, no, the moon landing was obviously real. That's ridiculous. 
Patsy's, you know, Patsy's a nice guy. He's a friend of the show, obviously. But the moon landing happened, man. Yes, I mean, come on. I would, I would think it was fairly obvious that the moon landing actually did occur. What? 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 I don't understand. Just, just say something. Just say it out loud. What? I, we don't understand what... Forget it. Okay, we're moving on. We're moving on, guys. We're moving on. Up next, we have... Oh, uh, very special episode of Epic Echoes. It's the last episode of our third season of Epic Echoes, meaning it's the season premiere, because Epic Echoes is a backwards series. For the last ten episodes, you've been hearing the flashback going up against the Vampiros, jumping through time, trying to wipe out the threat of the Vampirosian Empire. Well, now you get to find out how that adventure began. Here we are. Epic Echoes. Echoes the Backward Series, Season 3, Episode 11. They Are a Changin' by Jordan D. White. Max Thornfield and his amazing flashback had been on one adventure after another in the past six months and were finally enjoying a rare chance to relax. The pack's newest member, Fertress Fuzzbottom, was lounging about his quarters, engaging in recreational use of catnip and toying with the cyber mouse they'd picked up a few weeks before. <laughs> the newly reeffeminated Jill Slaughter was working on her rubber band collection, finally having the time to properly add the bands she'd been accumulating to the giant ball she was making. Just a little more. Come on. And perfect. Jimmy Kovacs was reviewing the virtual recordings of the last three weeks of Sea Hollow Span, taking a moment to consider how serious his political aspirations actually were. Senator Gersberg, are you fool? The IO agreement should be at the core of any America-Europa trade agreement. Are you blind? Sarah Keen was making good on her bet with Dralis. She'd sworn she could make a meal out of the Salagotha they'd slain, and now, with the help of Santori Soy and some garlic and sesame, she was making it happen. Mmm, just wait until she tastes this bastard. Drellis Thornfield was in the gym, boxing with her shadow, taking advantage of the final hours of the spell that had made it into a separate entity from her. Give it up! You'll never be as good as the original- Oh! Alright! That was a lucky shot. Just try it again! The pack's perpetual house guest, Dr. Notorious Stelloff, was in his guest quarters, feasting on the bananas that were his sole sustenance and dictating a new article on the potential for human photosynthesis. Um, accepting that the chlorophyll would change the glamour and makeup industry in a substantial way. (laughs) Meanwhile, the team's leader, Max Thornfield, and his best friend and advisor, Molly Singh, were finally able to do the morning they'd been putting off for so long. They stood in full spacesuits in front of the engraving they'd affixed to the wall of the Flashpoint's vacuum garden. It looks just like her. Yes. Oh, Max, Julie's gone. She's really gone. I know, Molly. I know. We'll never see her smile again. Never hear her crazy one-god ideas. Never get beat by her at Trivial Pursuit and get ticked off when she does that little victory dance she always did. You know what hurts most? I, I never got up the nerve to tell her just how I felt about her. I always thought she knew, but I could never be sure. Just knowing. Knowing that I'll never get the chance to tell the person I... uh, It hurts. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Max, I... I should tell you. Holy spokes! That sounds like a big one. What's going on? I don't know. We'd better get back inside. The two adventurers rushed into the airlock and met up with the full team gathered in their operations center moments later. Keen, what's the word? Bird, 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 the bird is a word. Everybody's heard that the bird is a word. Don't you know about the bird? Everybody's heard that the bird is a word. Got it. Come back when you're sober, niphead. There's massive amounts of chronal energy flowing through time stream. Chronal? That means time travel, my specialty. What do you need me to do, Keen? It's not that simple, Jill. From the quantity of energy here, it looks like we're talking about time alteration on a scale we've never encountered before. Where's it coming from? Based on these readings, it flows from somewhere around the year 4,000. 4,000? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. What is it? That's right in the heart of the Vampirosian Empire. The Vampirosian... What's that? The Vampirosian Empire. The Vampiros? It's only the most powerful Earth Empire of all time. The Vampiros are an offshoot of humanity created by Sir Hector Huntingdon in 1678 and who eventually take over, well, everything. Huntingdon? 
The, the guy who invented gravity? So what does all this mean? They're going back and changing history? It sure looks that way. Must have decided to start the reign a few thousand years early. Max, we've got to stop them and fast. If they change things before we leave, we won't even remember that things are different. Heck, they could change us out of existence. Great, Heisenberg. We'd better get a move on. But where do we begin? Look, everybody, we're getting a signal from the past. Onto the vid screen came the image of a man in the fancy dress of a 17th century English nobleman, resplendent and becaped with a large feathered hat. Behind him was a scene of smoke and destruction. Flashback! Flashback, are you there? Flashback here, come in. Sarah, thank the heavens I found you again. I'm afraid that once more I must request your immediate assistance. The vampiros are changing time. You've got to come at once. Again? There must be some mistake, mister. We don't even know you. So I've contacted you before you've even left your presence? Perfect. I'm Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore, formerly known as the Greater North Sea Continent of Britain. 17th century time traveler extraordinaire. Would that we had time for lengthier introductions, but I'm in immediate need. Suffice it to say, we should become allies in fighting the most horrible scourge of all time, the Vampiros. I'll feed you my coordinates, but you need to get here at once. We've got a time turner on our team, sir. We're never late. Let's go, gang. Flashback. Flashback! No, Stelloff. You stay here. Watch the flashpoint. There's no telling what could happen out there. Besides, considering our track record lately, an evil empire of the future should set us back, what, a minute or two? You can count on me. I shall anxiously await your return. The pack hurried, grabbed their gear, and the bleary-eyed coffee-drinking Fertress hopped into their cat ship, the Marvin Three, and took off into the time-space continuum. Slaughter flashed the whole lot of them to the coordinates the nobleman had given, and moments later the pack was in the sky of Germany, 1446. A beautiful sunset peeked over the mountaintops, coloring the sky the yellow to red of a ripe peach. It would have been a beautiful moment if not for the hordes of spacecraft buzzing around the horizon, destroying everything in sight. The pack didn't even have time to gasp before the Marvin took some serious damage. We're going down! Brace yourselves. The catship sped toward the ground at an alarming rate, but Molly, ever the skilled pilot, managed to pull up the nose at the last second, landing them roughly in the belly of the craft. The impact threw the pack around in their safety harnesses and wrenched the walls of the vehicle apart in huge gaping cracks. As the dust began to settle, the pack could see troops of vampiros outside those cracks, heading their way. We've got to move. We've got to move now. This way. The forest, run! What the mint is going on? We'll explain later, Cat. Right now we've got lives to keep from losing. Ours! Where's this willy guy? Why did he call us here? He's not even around. I don't know. But these are definitely the coordinates he gave me. Maybe we should just go back to Flashpoint and her group. We can't, Max. If we try to go back before we've stopped them from changing the past, who knows what we'll be going back to? We can't return to Flashpoint until we finish this. But who knows how long that could take? Quick, into this cave and keep quiet! What are we even doing here? We don't know. Some dashing British gentleman called and asked us to come, but he never said what we should do here. So why don't we call him back and ask him? Uh, yeah, why don't we? I'm on it. Sir William. What? Who the blazes is this? How did you get this number? I'm Sarah Keen of the Flashback. You called us. I'm afraid you're mistaken, miss. However lovely you are, I'd remember if I'd seen that face before. You didn't summon us to 1446? Heavens no! Why would I do that? I'm in Draconograd in 3939, dealing with the threat of the Vampiros. Mind if we join you? Fellow time travelers, please be my guest, sir. I could use all the help I can get. But, Max, how will we get there? We've crashed our only ship. We'll have to have Keen transport us to slatter time steps. But my teleporter... I know, Keen. But what choice do we have now? We're going to have to do our best. Everybody join hands. The flashback did as Slaughter said, and moments later they were speeding through both time and space again, this time with their flesh exposed to the time stream. It tingled a bit. When they re-merged with the normal time flow, they were on the roof of the Drang building in Draculograd 3939, just in front of the dandy do-right who'd summoned them forth. He doffed his cap to the ladies. Smashing, you made it! I'm Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore, formerly known as the Greater North Sea Continent of Britain, 17th century time traveler extraordinaire! Oddly enough, we've met before, briefly. I'm Max Sornfield. This is the flashback. Molly Sa- Actually, I know of them as well. There's a huge display about you in the Vampiropolis Museum of Natural and Unnatural History in a few years. They've even the preserved corpse of those of you they killed. You were apparently great enemies of the Empire, I'm impressed. They kill us? Not in this year, so you'll all be safe for now. Especially you, Miss Keen. I'll see to that. With the flourish of his cape, Sir William gestured towards Sarah. With his other hand, he slipped an earbud into her palm. She blushed and looked to see if the rest of the pack had noticed and found that they thankfully had not. All save Molly, who frowned as Keen slipped the bud into her ear and hit play, beginning his recording. Your beauty astounds me. I must see you again. In private, once we're out of this mess. 
Shall we say Venice, 1784? Keane blushed again as she noticed Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore, formerly known as the Greater North Sea Continent of Britain, looking her way expectantly. She nodded to him and tried to hide her glee. The way I see it, we need to figure out what the vampiros are changing, how and when, and put a stop to it. I mean, if they're trying to get their empire started early... Early? Did you say early? Yeah, why? The vampiros never had an empire. This, all this around you, is a result of their already having manipulated time. You must have left your era after the changes had already begun. So where and when does it all start? I'm afraid I don't know that either. By the time I'd left the time stream, they'd already assembled the time guard to go back for their larger changes. I've no idea who began it all, but from what I can gather, the vampiros were meant to have died out a decade or two after they were created. Great. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we could... Go to the furthest back the chronal energy stretches and see what we can find there. I'm reading 800 BCE, somewhere around Mount Everest. Suddenly, a flash of purple light burst across the sky, and more of the so-called Vampirosian Time Guard had the packing company surrounded. The guard looked quite a sight, their nicely pressed uniforms at odds with the horrific fangs that grew out of their jaws as they opened and closed their mouths in anticipation of the meals they were about to enjoy. Give up now, Flash Pack, and we guarantee you will die painfully as we rend you limb from limb. Fight back! And things might get ugly. Leave me here. You go set things right. But William... Don't worry, Sarah. History books say I'll be saved by the cavalry at the last minute. Go. No! Stop them! Hands! The flashback disappeared into the past, leaving Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore, formerly known as the Greater North Sea Continent of Britain, surrounded. You let them escape! Let them? I helped them! Sir William, before we begin the charade of attempting to blast you to atoms, there's something I think you should know. About your lineage. Meanwhile, in 800 BCE, the Flash Pack were able to get the jump on the unwary pack of Time Guards burying a stash of 43rd century weaponry for their ancestors. The bulk of the pack was dumping the weapons into a volcano, while Max stayed on site, hunting down any stray vampiros. He was almost certain he'd gotten them all, when suddenly, he spun around to find himself face-to-face, weapon-to-weapon, with the Flash Pack's mortal enemy, Mr. Banal. Banal. I should have known. You'll never get away with this. Easy, Thornfield. Don't get too twitchy on your goddamn trigger there, all right? That was just to get your attention. This time, I'm on your side. Could Mr. Banal be telling the truth? Or is this wild rewrite of all history really his doing? Will Sir William survive the battle with the vampiros to keep his date with Keen? Will the vampiros really manage to kill members of the flashback? When will the pack be able to go home? Find out in this season of Epic Echoes, starting next week with... Hitting the books. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dranus Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tongwen Wong was Sarah Keane, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Charles Berman was Sir William Alfred Wickersham III, Ryan Larranger was Mr. Banal, and Elijah Weberhan was the Vampiros. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And speaking of theme songs, Scapey, it is time for a, well, not a theme song, but rather a improvised song. Yay, time for my song. I love to do the song. Well, good, good. I'm glad you like it. All right, well, let's get to it. Here's my ukulele. Okay, I'm ready. Thank you very much, Scapey. Um, 
I liked the sentiment that moon landing was real, but I'm not sure where you were going with that. I wasn't. I wasn't sure either. That's why I kind of fizzled. It's all right. It's all right. Um, speaking of things that fizzle, we also we got no we got no mail for this either. So fizzle out. If you want to write in to us, please. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, you can write in and say that you have your problems for the extra history segment. You could say that you hate extra history, and that's why you don't write into that segment. You could write in about Epic Echoes. You could write in about the interview. You could write in about Guard Duty. Any of these things. We want to know what you think about all of these and more. Castinwax at gmail.com. That's who you write to, and we'll we'll read your letter on the air. Um, you could write in and say that Frank Allen smells really bad, and it's kind of true. Right, Frank? What? Why are you... What? That's not the pointer finger. That's not the one you're supposed to point with. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, oh, actually, there was one other thing we wanted to talk about, Scape. Now that uh, July is almost over, uh, it is sort of important that I check in about this. Um, so, you were accepted to the Rock Institute of Rock. What? The Rock Institute of Rock. Apparently, you met someone from the Rock Institute of Rock, and they want you to go to their school. So... <laughs> Can I go, Dad? Can I go? Well, actually, it's not. I should say it's not really go. They said they can set you up with uh, virtual attendance, so you you go through the computer, um, and it would involve you rocking every month. I can rock, Dad. I can rock. You gotta let me rock. Got to let me rock, Dad. You got to. I would. I would rock really good. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it was just recently that you were so bad, and you built those robots. Dad, please. It doesn't matter. Robots are. I don't care about robots. Robots do not matter at all. I care about rock and roll, Dad. That is what I care about. So, let me get this straight. Would you say that the robots were a mistake and you are sorry you ever had people replaced with robots and tried to take over the podcast? Yeah, if that's, Dad, if that's what you want me to say, I would say that. That's what I want you to say. That's, that thing you said, that is true. Oh my God, it's so true. I seriously believe what you said so much that I would say it. Can you actually say it? Ah, uh, no, because I don't remember, but it was right, Dad. It was just so right. Okay, can you just accept that? Can you just believe it? Let me go to the rock school, please. Let me rock. All right, Scape. All right, you can you can enroll in the Rock Institute of Rock. Thank you. Oh, God, thank you. And that's the only letter. Well, that's not the only letter. We also got another letter back from um, this guy who, who wrote in about Frank Allen before, but with this terrible joke. Uh, but again, I'm just going to delete it because it's what not What are you real. doing? No, don't delete it. There w- I See, I knew, I knew that Rory was right. There was no letter, but now you just got chopped up by the blades if this was that horrible world. Why, why would you? I... Then you lied to me? It's bad enough that you deleted the letter. Now you lie about the letter and get me fake cut to ribbons. What are you doing? Well, Frank, I did say that you weren't able to not talk, and you didn't. You weren't able to not talk for an hour. Clearly, you would have been killed in that world. Only I would survive. And again, I'm sorry for that. It makes me sad, and I don't want that world to be the case. But, you know... Such it is. That is totally unfair. That is totally unfair. Well, I do apologize, Frank. I didn't mean to be unfair to you, except that I was tricking you in order to make you lose. That that sounds unfair. Well, you know, I guess fairness is in the ear of the beholder. Thank you all for listening to the podcast, though, today. Uh, there will not be a podcast next week because I will be in sunny California at the San Diego Comic-Con. I've never been to California before, so I'm very excited. When I get back, I'll give you a full report. But as a result, like I said, no podcast next week, so it'll be two weeks from today you will have a new podcast. Hopefully everybody will enjoy that as much as they enjoyed this one. Be seeing you. Celebrity 
that you would remember when your cat misbehaves. And I wish I knew how to fly, but I know it isn't true. I wish that my song was sung in English. That's my preferred language. And I wish that my French was perfect, but I know it isn't true. So true. On the next episode of Cast in Wax. Unlike Daughter, Pandora has some trouble hiding her covert activities. Is this a bad time? Uh, no, oh no, of course not. I was just uh, building something in the basement. And you brought your tools up to answer the door? Yeah. Is that a hacksaw? And on Tractor Fiction, there's some serious misunderstandings of what Jesus is all about. Tell me what you know about Jesus, Benny. Uh, he, he was a Jew. Some guy's killed on a cross because he wrote the Bible. Uh, not quite. Jesus created the universe. Oh, a guy on TV said Jesus was only a man. That's a lie, Benny. Plus, we cover two very important historical events, which I'm sure you can tell from these clips. I am smartest person in country. Poof. Poof. Glug, 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 glug. And we're back to having another scapey story. It's all coming your way in two weeks on August 3rd to axwork.com.